Good morning. Welcome. So good to be with you this morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we'll be working out of the wonderful little book of 1 Thessalonians this morning. So as you make your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'll take this opportunity to introduce myself. My name is Dan Vidlack. And as always, when I get the opportunity to share God's word with you, it's my honor and privilege entirely. My prayer today is that God's spirit would truly teach us something today and that it would change us for the better. Amen. And then as it does, we turn and glorify and honor him in it. Amen. That's my prayer. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse two and three, we have the apostle Paul here, the pastor Paul of this Thessalonian uh, church, uh, giving some nice, positive, encouraging words. He's speaking for himself as well as Timothy and Silas here who helped found the church. Verse two, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. And in verse three, they were remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Amen? Amen. Will you join me in prayer and ask God's Spirit to help us? So, Father, we're so grateful for your people. The people that you brought here together, you brought us safely here. Thank you. Thank you for this day that you've given us. The blue skies, Father, thank you. May we rejoice and be glad in this day. We thank you for your word, your perfect word. I pray that it would have its perfect way in us today that it would change us, your spirit would uh, teach us something of eternal value, Father. I pray that you would be glorified and honored here in this study as you are in heaven. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So it wasn't that many years ago that my oldest son, Ryan, was a wee little lad. Now, it's hard to believe that we're dropping him off like thousands of other parents next week to go to college. Where'd the time go? (laughs) It wasn't that long ago when he's a wee little lad, uh, he was observing me and two of his uncles at a family gathering. And I don't know how old he was, but he wasn't old enough to quite make the correlation between uh, chronological age and physical size. He wasn't quite there yet. So he comes up to me when I'm with my uh, brother and brother-in-law and he said, hey dad, how old is Uncle Rob? And I said, hey bud, I think he's... 25, I think. Okay, dad. Hey, how old's Uncle Mark? And he looked, I said, I, I think he's like maybe 26, maybe. Hey, dad, how old are you again? And I, I knew where he was going with this, right? <laughs> I said, I think I'm, I'm 30. He looks at me, sizes me up and sizes his uncles up and goes, dad, I think you need to grow up. <laughs> Ryan was sizing me up. God's word in our scripture today is doing something very similar. It's sizing us up spiritually and seeing if we're on a track to being spiritually mature. It does this by taking uh, an example of the spiritually mature believers in Thessalonica, and he's holding them up as an example to us. See how we are sizing up spiritually. If you caught it, they had faith, hope, and love in their lives. They were experiencing their faith. 
They were experiencing their hope. They were experiencing their love, right? In their lives. That's a novel concept, right? They were spiritually mature, or at least on the continuum of getting spiritually mature, amen? And that's the example that's held up. God's word is sizing up us, up, up just like Ryan, and asking, challenging us whether we need to grow up or not. And I, I know that is probably, I'm hoping, our desire, because that's where it has to start, right? That we want to be spiritually mature, right? I know for sure it's God's desire for us. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah. Hey, I know it's a process. A process by which we use the times that we are spiritual in our life's circumstances and we learn how to grow up spiritually. It's a continuum. Jesus helps us out with that in John chapter 15. He says there, if you remember, I am the what? True vine. You are the branches, right? You can't do anything without me, Jesus would say. My energy, my power is flowing through you. He goes on to describe different types of branches, believers. And do you remember how he described them? There's some that produced no fruit. There's some that produced fruit. There's some that produced more fruit. And there are even some that produced much fruit. I want to be a much fruit guy. How about you? I want to grow up spiritually. I want to let God's word and his spirit size me up and see if I've been found wanting. Amen? That's what our scripture is doing here today. I'm convinced of it. Now listen, they were spiritually mature, and I think it's a hallmark of Christian maturity, how you use the faith God gave you in your life, how you use your hope that God gave you in your life, how you use love in your life today, that they're more than words or doctrine. Are they things that have transformed you? And if you look at here, we're just going to look at those three things and how they used them. Number one, they had a hope. Well, number one, they had a faith that worked. They had a faith that put them on a certain life's trajectory. Number two, we'll see that they had a love that toiled. Quite literally, they were bleeding, sweating, toiling after one another for love's sake. And they also had a hope that gave them endurance. They had a hope that kept them keeping on. You ever been there? <laughs> I just want to keep keeping on. Hope got them out of their prison of persecution. So we want to look at those three things today. You guys ready? Now, Siri, now come on. I know it's been a while since I've been up here, but it doesn't work that way, right? I need a little bit more from you. I kind of have to feed off that. I don't do this for a living, okay? <laughs> I need encouragement. So are you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I need help. Thank you. Amens are welcome. Yeses. Praise the Lord. All those things. I need some help, okay? Here we go. They had a work of faith. These believers were spiritually mature in part because they had a work of faith. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. They had a faith that produced in them a direction of their conduct. Their trajectory of their life was changed by their faith. It worked. 
Now listen, we have to define faith before we go any further. Okay, and it's real easy in the Bible because there's a verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that says faith is. That's an easy one, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things you cannot see. That's faith. Did you catch it? Substance of things you're hoping for. The evidence or proof of the things you can't see. It's what gives those things that you can't see that you're hoping for a handle, something tangible, something real, something that has in itself its own proof. That's what faith does. Those things you can't see that you're hoping for become reality with faith. You see, when we take our God-given faith and like a good archer, we point and direct it at the many promises that we're hoping for in the Lord Jesus. When we do that and it hits those promises, it becomes a reality and it's all the proof we'll ever need that they're true. And when we go there in our mind, we can handle them and they're real and tangible for you and I. That's the power of faith. Amen. Now listen, faith is serious business to God. It's to be taken serious. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Make note of this verse. It says, it is impossible to please God without faith. All our good works, all our great intentions, all the things we do in our life, if it's not done with faith, it's not pleasing to God. It doesn't have a sweet aroma to Him. It's impossible to please God without faith. It's serious business. Amen? Very serious. In fact, that's why the Bible again and again says we are to walk by faith, not by sight. It's the only way to please God. It's important. We need to use our spiritual eyes, not our physical eyes. We need to realize that seeing isn't believing, but believing seeing. Amen? It's a big difference. That's the power of faith. Now listen. They had a faith that worked. And this work isn't Busy work. This isn't a task. This isn't what you do to your kids to keep them busy and you think it's, and it's really not helping, right? Do this. This isn't something that doesn't have direction. This work word, the, the closest word that translates into the English language would be a life's trajectory. It'd be like a, a course of conduct. An activity trajectory. That's this work word. The best way I can describe this is it, the word that translates over is like occupation. Do we have any teachers here? Teachers? Sorry, party's about over. <laughs> Going back to school soon, aren't you? Here's what I know about teachers. They teach. Amen. They wake up and their life is ordered in a trajectory of that becoming of a teacher. They teach. I know that plumbers plumb, drywallers drywall. Farmers farm, builders build. This is the word of work I'm talking about. Their faith worked. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ should set us in a certain direction. Becoming of such belief, amen? It should put us on a trajectory towards that, serving the true and living God, amen? That's the work word that we're, we're talking about here. They had a faith that worked now listen, when it doesn't work, it becomes inoperable. It dies. It has no 
external value to people that see it, right? That's what James says. James chapter 2 says, faith without works is dead. It's rendered inoperable. It doesn't work. Whether you like it or not, faith is a lot like love. You only see it by what it produces in people's lives. That's all you see. Faith is a thing between you and God. But what you can see is what it produces. That's why it's so important that it works. It's not dead, is that it actually works. And it points to something bigger than the little things you're doing or the direction you're headed. Amen? When you say that person has a strong faith, what you're saying is their life's direction and trajectory has not changed even in the midst of something bad in their affliction that their trajectory is still on course for what they're professing to be in their faith. Whether you like it or not, your faith is only seen by what it produces, so it's important. Now listen, we were created for good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, right? We are his workmanship, right? Created for good works. We should walk in them. That's why people who know the Lord walk by faith. Not by sight. Amen? Now listen, these believers, and you can look at, you can look at verse 9, they actually, when they came to, see, to know the Lord, they changed. They had this faith, and their trajectory of their life was changed dramatically. Listen to it here in verse 10. Paul, I saw how you turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God. When the gospel found them, when Paul presented them the gospel, that Jesus died and was buried for them, that that was the sacrifice they needed for their lives. When they came to that faith, it found them worshiping idols. Idols like Moloch, Baal, Eros. They, they, they were bowed down literally in serving idols. When, the, when they had their faith and they placed it in Jesus Christ, it moved from that to a living and true God. Now, come on. I, I was expecting a little more from you guys on that. It changed them. <laughs> it changed them from darkness to light, from evil to good. If you read what those idols were, it took them from a lustful, unhealthy, dirty lifestyle into something wholesome and good and fresh, and pure. That's what their faith did to them. It changed them. Amen? And if we're going to be sized up like my son and take a look at you and go, hmm, I, <laughs> she laughs. <laughs> How are you doing with your faith? Is it moving you? Are you on the right trajectory? Are you living serving our Lord Jesus Christ regardless of your circumstance. But Dan, I don't have idols. Hmm. I happen to be one who's convinced that every spiritual power behind those idols in the old are still alive today. And they are picking us off one by one. They are weighting us down and keeping us from the things that the Lord has us. If you want a verse, 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Listen to me, and you might make a connection between maybe some idols you're serving, I'm serving, compared to the idols they were serving. It says there, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Things like, listen to me, fornication, uncleanliness, lustful passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is, anybody have it? Idolatry. Ooh. Ooh, me, me, that's Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Maybe I do serve idols at time, if you put it that way. Oh, Lord, help us all. Help us all. And I'll tell you what, if you want to know if you're on the continuum of much fruit, you might want to think about what your faith is pointing you towards and what you're serving and where you're heading. Is your life's trajectory serving the living and true God? Is it? These guys were doing it. And if we want to be on the continuum of spiritual maturity, we need to realize that our faith needs to work. Amen? Okay, the second thing they were doing is they were loving. <laughs> they were loving. They were loving to the point where they were laboring. Look at verse 3, our text. It says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. We just talked about that. And your labor of love. So they had a, they had a love that labored. Quite literally, uh, it toiled. It cost something. It was a sacrifice. Quite literally, and the word means uh, blood, sweat, tears. They had a labor of love. Now listen, we use love all sorts of ways. Even in Christendom. Heavy on the dumb part. We need to use it correctly. Okay? We need to use this love with respect. This is God's love. This is agape love. This is God's love. They were using God's love to toil one to another. This is always an other-centered activity. Seeks the betterment over others, over self, even to the point of sacrifice, even to the point where it hurts, where it costs you something. That's the definition of God's love. It's described beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let, let me describe it for you. When people do it, you see it and you can't miss it. It's an awesome love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7. Love suffers long. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself around and it's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Amen? That's God's love. And it's a self-sacrificial love that puts others before self. And it was authored in and ushered in by none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that? He was the author of this type of love. Remember John 3.16? It says that God so loved the world that he, what did he do? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved so he gave Jesus to us. Amen? 
The other John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 says this, this is how you know God loved us. How? That he laid down his life for us. Love, sacrifice. He died for us. That's how you know God loved you. Is all you got to do is look at that cross. And by the way, it's empty. Amen. <laughs> but there was a time when he was on it. And his blood flowed, tears flowed, sweat flowed, killed him, put him in a grave, and praise God, he raised the third day, amen? You look at that cross if you wonder if he loves you or not. You want to know the definition of love? You want to know if people are loving you? Does it, are they sacrificing for you? The people in my life that have given to me, so grateful for, it's not hard if you know what you're looking for. It's people who toil because of you. It costs them something. That's true love. It's others over self. Listen, these believers were loving. We can see that in verse 6. It says they found the word, they received the word in much affliction. (laughs) I I want you to follow this. In much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit, so that they became examples to all Macedonia and Achaia who believed. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. They were loving. Yes, they were being afflicted by persecution at this time, no doubt. But they, I think, were loving each other to the point where it hurt. Much affliction. Giving themselves over one for another, putting others over self to the point where, did you catch that? Even Pastor Paul, whose mandate from the Lord Jesus Christ himself was go out and preach the gospel. He said, I took a whole geographic area and I didn't have to say anything. Because what you did with your life, through your love, spoke volumes. More than my mouth could even speak, even the gift that I was given. So that Paul did not need to say anything. Amen? So when you say you love somebody, and man, don't you love to hear that, by the way? (laughs) You love to hear that. Love when people say, I love you. I wonder when we say that, we could actually take a second and wonder, how are we loving them with our lives? Because as the saying goes, talk can be cheap. Amen? Are we loving? Are we toiling one for another? Listen, these guys were, I think they got the new commandment. I think they got John chapter 13, verse 34. Do you remember that new commandment that Jesus gave? A new commandment I give to you that you'd love one another. How? As I have loved you. Now listen. One is the cause, the other is the effect. If you realize how Jesus Christ toiled blood, sweat, and tears for you on your behalf. He who came (laughs) sin, who knew no sin, so that you might be made righteousness before God. That one, when you realize what that did for you and what that availed you, that should change the way that you love others. The spirit inside you then feels comfortable. You can use his fruit of the spirit love to love the unlovable. And here's a news flash. You haven't figured this one out yet. It's really hard to love people who are unlovable. 
It's really hard to love people who are ungrateful. It's really hard to love people when they stab you in the back. It's really hard. It's so hard that it's impossible. Did you know that? That's why we need the new commandment. Jesus Christ is the standard, not us. It changes everything. We can't love the unlovable, but we can appreciate God's love. God's spirit can produce it in and through our life. Listen to me. This is Christianity. This is not a religion. This is someone else living a life through you. Praise God. In spite of you. It's lived under the power of another. That's how you love the unlovable. And these guys were doing it. And maybe, like Ryan, (laughs) maybe God's word is sizing you up, wondering how you're loving. Do you love to the point where it hurts? Do you turn away? Are you keeping track? Is it a tit for tat? Or are you loving self-sacrificially? Are you putting others above self? Amen? Because when we are, we're maturing spiritually. And that's the litmus test for today as far as the love goes. There's one more here. And if you caught it in verse 3, it says, We remember without ceasing your work of faith. Covered that. Labor of love. Covered that. And also in endurance or patience of hope. Patience of hope. Endurance of hope. These guys had a hope that kept them keeping on. That's the power of hope. It endured in the face of stiff persecution these believers were under. They were able to endure and hold up and have staying power because of their hope. Now listen, we also need to define hope. Because we use hope wrong sometimes. We need to use the Bible's definition of hope. And I believe it is a favorable and confident expectation of the unseen future. That's what the Bible says hope is. Favorable, confident expectation of the unseen future. We don't hope for things we have. We don't hope for things we're enjoying right now. That's not what the Bible says. Now listen, I have two word pictures for you to illustrate how you can always remember God's definition of hope without thinking about that definition. One is the red store. Now the red store is the Provolt store. I don't know if you guys ever been to the Provolt store. It used to be a really cool place. It's still okay, but like anything, it used to be better. (laughs) It's an old general store. My kids named it the red store because it's red. They're brilliant. And when they were young, I raised my kids and still do out in the county, for better or worse. We're out there, and a lot of times they would ask me, hey, Dad, can we go to the red store on the way to town or just when we're around the property working? And I loved taking them, especially when they were young. Maybe it's because they're teenagers now. I don't know. I liked when they were little. (laughs) They were so cute. And they'd be in the back of the truck in their car seats, And I would take them to the red general store, the red store. And I promised them, you can get one thing. And as they're going, I used to love the conversations in the truck. They would talk about the treats they were going to get, the favorable treatment they were going to get. They were very confident that dad was going to deliver, right? That when we got there, they would get their bubble gum or their soda 
right? Or their candy bars, the things that didn't fly in our house. They were special things, you see. They had a favorable and confident expectation of the unseen future when they were in that car, and they were hopeful. They were hopeful because I always delivered. Because we'd go to the store, they'd pick out their goodies, I would make good on the payment, and we'd get back in the truck, and you know what happened on the way home? Nothing. I heard nothing. Silence. Why? They were enjoying what they were hoping for. They got it. We don't hope for things we already have. We need to be careful how we use hope. We need to remember that it's a favorable and confident expectation of the unseen future. Listen, if you think I made that up, listen to... I try not to do that when I'm up here, by the way. God's word helps you with that definition in Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25. Let me read it for you, okay? It says, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait and expect it with endurance. That's where I got that definition. Hope is something out there in the unseen future. Anybody big pregnant in here? I mean, like, I'm talking like big pregnant. We got a big pregnant. Oh, no, sorry. That's not a good word to say. Any wonderful looking women that are with child? Here, here, I'm in trouble already. Hey, you know what I know about pregnant ladies? Well, I know a lot of things because I've had one in my house a couple times, but you know what's awesome is I'll bet you if you looked in their car, you'd find something. It's a car seat. Listen, they got a car seat in their car and their baby isn't born yet. That's hope. Favorable, confident expectation of the unseen future. And guess what? This is the point that I want to drive home with the car seat. (laughs) Hope puts you in a realm that those good things in the future, although you're confident they're going to happen, they can happen at any minute. It's imminent. It's an expectation that it's going to happen or it's not hope. It's a car seat. I could be at work and have this baby. What am I going to do then? I want to be able to leave. And I don't know if it's today or tomorrow or next week. I'm going to put that car seat in my car early because it could be today. Amen? Listen, hope is powerful. It's, it's a very powerful force in the universe. Real, genuine, biblical hope can get you out of your present prison that life has put you in, and it can remove you into something that is amazing, a most confident, favorable future with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We have so many promises that God has given us that we can bank on. And sometimes I hear people say, oh, we just got to live in the moment. And I can appreciate that, but that's spoken like someone who's doing really good. That's spoken like sometimes what happens to me is, listen, I don't want to live in this moment. This moment is bad. It hurts. Real pain. Am I speaking to the right people? Or is this a Tony Robbins place here? (laughs) Listen, we got real problems, do we not? People die. 
There's things called divorce and addiction and financial ruin and kids not doing well, not following the Lord. We got problems. And here's what hope does. Hope takes you out of those prisons that you can put yourself in. It can remove you from the presence and put you in the future where things are better, where we can be with the Lord. Amen? We can hope that Jesus Christ could be here at any minute. Hey, I want to remind you something. These believers had a happy hope. You see it in verse 10, the last verse of this chapter, and you see it the last verse of every chapter in this epistle. They were hopeful. They were expecting the imminent return of their Lord Jesus Christ at the rapture. They were waiting for it. It says here, (laughs) they were waiting for his son from heaven. Every verse, they're expecting, waiting for Jesus to come back. The Bible describes that as a happy hope. I have a friend in the audience today, Greg Chandler. Him and I, when we study this eschatology here, and how this could make you happy, could be a happy hope. One of the happiest times of my life. Greg would call me sometimes, hey Dan, how's your life doing? I don't know. Hey, you know it could be today? And I'd say, hey, it could be today. The Lord could come back today, amen? amen? And guess what? It will change your life. Forever be with the Lord, enjoying him face to face. Not half full like a dim glass, but the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, face to face. That's a miracle. Come on. <laughs> and I would return the favor to Greg sometimes. Hey, Greg, what are you doing? Hanging drywall. Is that fun? Nope. Hey, it could be today. Oh, these believers had a real hope that lifted them out of their prisons that they were in of this persecution and brought them to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the power of hope. Amen? They had a happy living hope. I want to ask you today, how are we using our hope? Are we imminently expecting the Lord's return? Is that making us happy? Or are we just stuck down here in a hopeless situation? I'm telling you, if there's one thing Christians should be, they should be a hopeful bunch, don't you think? We have so much to hope for. Now listen, these believers, they had a faith that worked. They had a love that labored. And they had a hope that kept them kept on. That's what can get you through today is your most certain future. Amen? Now listen, I want us to consider those things. And if you're here today and you say, all that stuff sounds awesome. I have not experienced such things <laughs> from which you speak. <laughs> what are these things? Oh, you may have experienced the counterfeit version of them that the, Lord, that the world kind of tries to throw out to you. It offers some sort of faith. It's not what we talked about. It's a cheap counterfeit version of it. It does offer love. We're not the only people that can love. But I tell you, we're the only people that can use God's love in our lives. And that other love is a cheap counterfeit version of the real McCoy. And they have hope too. They think they have hope. They don't have what we got. (laughs) They don't have what we got. Amen? Amen. If you're out there today and God's Spirit's convicting you and asking you to grow up spiritually, I, I hope that you let Him do that work in your life. That's between you and Him.
But more specifically today, if you're out there today and you have not placed your faith in the facts that Jesus Christ himself loves you so much that he died, was buried, and rose again and is living for you right now personally, if you have not taken those facts and placed them in him and received him, I'd like to offer that to you today. I don't know where you guys are at. There's going to be an opportunity. We'll be down here praying with you. Or if you're just stuck and you don't know how to move on and use your faith, hope, and love, we're going to be down here. And then some of you guys, if you actually come to the Lord today and you want to show everybody what happened in your heart by getting baptized, be happy to do that as well. It's an outward expression of what's going to happen in your, in your heart. Amen. So, Father, we're so grateful for your word. I pray that it would have our perfect way in us. I pray for those that may not know your son to come down here to experience real love, real faith, real hope. Father, I pray that you'd be with us, that your spirit would change us through these words. Thank you for your people. Thank you for this wonderful day you've given us. May we rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name, amen.